0: 56 Mornings on Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. This hour is brought to you by James Gaddis Jewelers. Here once again, Greg Gaston and Eli Savoy.
1: Welcome back, everyone. 805 the time. Hour number two here on Sports 56 Mornings, the Wednesday. October 18th, 2023 edition. Greg Gaston, Eli Savoy, Zach Boyd with you from the Family Leisure Studios. Family Leisure, their overstock sale continues at 2120 Witten Road, just north of I-40. Currently 49 degrees, clear skies, now sunshine. Sunny today for uh, most of the day, high of 68, and then tonight a few clouds with a low of 59 degrees. Second hour of the program brought to you by our friends at James Gaddis Jewelers. They are your bridal engagement and anniversary jeweler headquarters. The holidays, man, they are rapidly approaching. You're looking for that special something for that special someone? Well, check out what they have to offer at James Gaddis Jewelers. They've been providing beautiful jewelry in the Memphis area for more than a quarter century at the East Memphis location. And before that, they began on Summer Avenue. So they've been a part of the fabric of this community for quite a long time. James is the guy you want to talk about or talk to, rather, when it comes to jewelry because he has all the credentials. He's a master jeweler, certified appraiser, diamontologist, and he's graded by the Gemologist Institute of America. So if you need a little conversation, you go in and you see James. You need something appraised, you go in and you see James. They are your bridal engagement and anniversary jeweler headquarters. So if you're looking for that special engagement ring, you plan on popping the question during the holidays, make sure you check out James Gaddis Jewelers. But for all their other fine jewelry, including watches and bracelets, necklaces, earrings, and pendants, plus one-of-a-kind of state and vintage jewelry and custom-made jewelry, it's James Gaddis Jewelers. 4900 Poplar between Mendenhall and St. Nick, and on the web at GattisJewelers.com. It is a busy time for soccer fans out there. We had a Friendly for the United States last night in Nashville against Ghana as the U.S. won 4-0. And, of course, around here, Memphis 901 FC preparing for the postseason in the USL Championship. And they begin Saturday with a home match against Louisville. And we are pleased to be joined by our soccer guru. He's Lawrence Dockery, writer for World Soccer Talk and host of the 901 Soccer Podcast with Bluff City Media. You can follow him on Twitter, at El ninety three and Lawrence joins us now on Sports fifty six mornings. You were in Nashville last night. What was the experience like?
2: Well, I, I got to tell you, it was it was uh, just a tad underwhelming, to be perfectly honest. Um, the, the The crowd was not great. They it's a, a Geodis Park there in Nashville is a is a thirty thousand seat soccer stadium. It's the largest soccer stadium in the country. And, uh, U.S. soccer did not announce the attendance during the game. And, uh, if you'll notice, uh, when it comes to stuff like attendance and TV ratings and stuff like that, typically people don't like to sit on good news and keep it under wraps. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh uh so after the game it got to be like pulling teeth trying to get the attendance from anybody uh I got straight up told by one person stop asking um <laughs> uh it, eventually it got to be that they had about 18,000 people there so just over half full uh which speaks to a larger trend uh, which I, I guess I could get to in a second but the game itself um the the US played awesome they were up 4-0 at the half they got their first goal 12 minutes into the game uh, Gio Reyna for the U.S. got two goals. Uh, Christian Pulisic got a goal. Fowler and Balogun got a goal. Um, it was, I mean, they looked, I don't know the last time I've seen the U.S. play a half of soccer that was that dominant. They looked, uh, they looked like a professional side against an amateur side, is what it looked like out there last night, which is, uh, quite refreshing to see because typically, uh, under Greg Berhalter, the U.S. men's national team coach, they, Typically, don't play like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll they'll have some big score lines. They've under him. They've won a lot of games, like 5-0, 6-0, 7-1, stuff like that. But it's against you know, let's be real. Teams from like uh, you know those 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 very tiny few nations on the northeast tip of South America, like you know Suriname or you know very small countries with mostly amateur players. But Ghana is a team that the U.S. has history against. We've played them in the World Cup three times. Uh, they've beaten us twice in those three games, so it was very refreshing to see them come out and just from start to finish thoroughly dominate a
3: somewhat comparable team. The Now, uh, update, burhalter was out and then I was back, right? Is that correct?
2: Yeah, so after the 2022 World Cup, his contract officially expired, which there wasn't a single person with a functioning brain that thought he wasn't going to be the guy for the next four years because... U.S. Soccer for whatever reason just loves this dude. I, I sometimes have to compare it to like you remember when Jason Garrett was the coach of the Cowboys? Oh yes, I remember. And that. <laughs> and everybody was a you know everybody would look at that and go, "What in the world is Jerry doing? Why is this dude going eight and eight every single year and still the coach of this team? For how long was he the coach of the Cowboys? Like seven or eight years." Yeah. Uh, I want to say, and you know, every so often he'd sneak in there with like a twelve and four type season, but by and large, you 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 knew what you were going to get, and it was going to be eh for most of the time. What Jason Garrett—that's Greg Berhalter's tenure with the U.S. men's national team. Now, the difference is that his contract nominally was up at the end of the 2022 World Cup. And then he, he very did nearly lose his job. Well, I don't know how nearly he lost his job. Publicly, it looked like he almost lost his job because after he went to a leadership conference, an off the record leadership conference in New York, he bragged about almost kicking Gio Reyna out of the World Cup team and then said how awesome he was for allowing Gio Reyna to stay in the World Cup. And that got out, and Giovanni Reyna's parents retaliated and went I have to big soccer. Mm-hmm. and told them that, like, oh, hey, by the way, uh, 25, years of Greg, uh, 25 years ago, Greg was uh, violent with his girlfriend, now wife, and then U.S. Soccer hired their own firm, who told U.S. Soccer what they wanted to hear, and Greg Burhalter is uh, back. He's been in charge for these last four games. He was not the coach over the summer when the crowds are great, and I don't think it's a coincidence that the four games that he's been back, the crowd's... Three of the four crowds have been half full soccer stadiums, uh, which, as we all know, are significantly smaller than football
3: stadiums. Well, because you, uh, you said Reina, what, he had two goals last year? Two night? goals, right. So I, is yeah. that relationship all good now? Are we all good with the Reinas? Um,
2: maybe. <laughs> uh, I, uh, the cynic in me wants to say absolutely not. Um, but he, you know he's been working his way back from an injury that he picked up in the Nations League final uh, over the summer, I believe, against Canada. Uh, so he hasn't really played since then. So he got 45 minutes on Saturday against Germany and 45 minutes last night. And post game last night, Greg Berhalter said that was the plan all along. Um, but you're but, saying, uh, but
1: Lawrence, you're saying that even though maybe they've rekindled the relationship, maybe the fans are protesting that he's still the head coach by not coming to these games. That's what you're inferring,
2: right? It, it's that's a part of it, yes. Um, it, there's a larger issue in play with, uh, quite frankly, the U.S. men's national team is not popular right now. They're, they don't have a, you know, they're not likable to very many people. Um, uh, Things the attendance and TV ratings reflect that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yes, uh, they were drawing very well over the summer. And Greg Berhalter has been back for four games, and three of those games were a half-empty Major League Soccer stadiums. All
4: right,
2: um, um, okay. that's the small sample size, perhaps. And you know, I don't particularly like the guy, so uh, maybe I'm using <laughs> that as a little bit of extra ammunition. Um, but you know, it, we'll see.
3: You're looking at the stadium as half-empty; others look at as <laughs> half-full. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Lawrence has made it pretty clear on social
1: media his uh, feelings for for Berhalter. All right, so let's talk about Memphis 901 FC. They kind of backed into this home match, unfortunately, because they got hit pretty badly on the road at New Mexico. I don't know what it is about the southwest portion of the United States, but I remember when they went out to Phoenix and got clobbered this year, and they get beat by New Mexico, bad 4-1. to one. But luckily for them, Louisville lost. So Memphis 901 FC gets to host Louisville on Saturday. Uh, they met during the regular season. How do you see... Their chances to make a run, Memphis nine one FC in the postseason.
2: Well, I, I do want to nitpick that just a tad. I okay. would say I wouldn't say that nine one FC backed into the playoffs. Um, no, no, no. Like into, they, into the
1: home, into the home match. Oh, into the home match. Okay, yes, yes, thing. Yeah.
2: yeah. Now the the New Mexico game is a little bit. You meant you referenced the Phoenix game. I would say there was the situations were different. Um, Phoenix has been one of the better teams in the league for 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 most of the season. Although looking at the standings, they're they're uh, they're the sixth seed in the Western Conference right now. Mm-hmm. The New Mexico game, it's one of those weird situations where nine hundred one FC didn't need nine hundred one FC could get a draw or a win, or if Louisville did anything but win. Whereas New Mexico absolutely had to have that game if they wanted to go to the playoffs. So okay. if we're going to get a home run effort out of New Mexico but not necessarily a home run effort out of Memphis. And I, I think that's what happened. But we still get the home playoff game because Louisville has completely fallen apart uh, down the home stretch. Um, as far as, you know, I don't want to see chances against them. Like, you, you got to like them. They played twice this season, and Memphis didn't lose either of them. They they won in Louisville, and they got a draw here. And, you know, Louisville's, I believe, you know, the last Six games. They've only won one of them, maybe two, coming into the coming into the playoffs. Um, them falling apart is really is a big part of what allowed one C to get up into that fourth spot. Mm-hmm. Um, but nine see one FC's got a huge opportunity at home on Saturday here. Uh, so the game's at five thirty. By the way, it's not at seven. It's at five thirty. So if anybody was listening and planning on going, make sure that you're aware the game's at five thirty. And Louisville City joined the USL Championship in 2015. They have gone to the Eastern Conference Finals every single year of their existence. 901 wow. FC has an opportunity against a lower-seeded, lower-ranked Louisville City to end that. They can put Louisville City in a casket and end their run of dominance. And uh, you've got to like their chances because you're at home and you haven't. You you are unbeaten in three straight, and you're quite frankly
3: playing a lot better than they are right now. Memphis would take great joy at editing anything Louisville. I think. Absolutely. I think and that's, and,
2: I w- and that's, that's one thing I was about to say. It, you know, it, it, for, for, for the folks out there who aren't really big 901SC fans, I, I, I would hope, and this is something that I've tried to do since 901SC joined the league in 2019, is I've tried to make this Memphis-Louisville thing a thing kind of the way that it was uh, for so many years in basketball and to a lesser extent in football. But, you know, you had the... Danny Crumby, Dana Kirk years, which were, which were incredible. Then you had the Rick Pitino v. John Calipari era. And, you know, that was, you know, those were several 10 year wars between the two programs. And I think we've got a little bit of that on the soccer side. Um, the regular season, the second regular season meeting last year between the two teams saw three players get red cards after the final whistle, which was crazy. Um, Nothing, nothing wild like that this year. But if if you're a, if you're a U of M fan and are looking for a reason to go to the 901 FC game on Saturday, uh, put your put your Memphis Louisville hat on it and get out there because it's a rivalry. Game.
1: Is is Louisville a, big, a bigger rivalry than Birmingham?
2: That's, that's tough to say. I'm going to say on the field, yes. Uh, on social media, no. Um, the 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 discourse between Memphis and Birmingham on Twitter for a minute was was very toxic,
4: mm-hmm. um, and it
2: got stoked by a lot of people from Birmingham, England, for some reason. <laughs> and I, and, I, and, I, and I, I've asked around, and nobody can quite really put their finger on why everybody in England sort of sort of jumped in on it, but they did for whatever reason. Um, but on the field, to be to be quite honest, Birmingham's really got our number. And we've we've gotten some good results against Louisville as of late, so I'm going to say on the field it's more of a rivalry with Louisville, but uh, in the social media sphere it's more of a rivalry with Birmingham, if that makes sense.
3: <laughs> All right. We don't have a Louisville England chiming in on that no, one. No, I don't. don't, don't. that makes it tougher. The I guess the the maybe the best soccer team in the city is the University of Memphis women's team, who continues to be great and now in the top five of the nation. How are they? How good are they? Could we? Are they a legitimate national championship type team?
2: Well, that's that sounds kind of crazy to talk about, but so far on the season, they're twelve and one. Their only loss was on the road at a ranked Alabama team, who went to the College Cup semifinals last year, and that was two to one. And there was a uh, we'll call a questionable penalty called against Memphis late that led to the Alabama second goal um they've won nine in a row they're the number three team in the country uh according to one of the polls they're, they're number nine in one poll and number three in another poll and when was the last time there was a team on campus with U of M that was ranked as high as number three you got that you probably got to go back to what the Derrick Rose John Calipari team in oh seven oh eight, probably um so you know they're they're one of the best teams in the country. And, you know, I you know, interviewed Brooks Monahan in the preseason, and he said, this team's much more talented than last year's team that went to the Sweet Sixteen.
1: Says a lot right there. Um,
2: and, uh, you know, they, they got, uh, what, three games left, two of which are at home. They're at home at Park Avenue on Thursday against UAB, uh, Sunday the 22nd against Temple, and then they close out the season on the 26th at Tulsa and then they have the uh, American Conference Championship which this year is entirely at a neutral site and you got to figure they're the they're the favorites to 3 threepeat there and you know you got to figure if if they win these last few regular season games and then win the conference championship again that they're going to be one of the top seeds going into the NCAA tournament i cannot foresee a scenario where a one-loss conference champion that's ranked in the top 10 in each poll mm-hmm. is not one of the highest seeds in the tournament, which you would think would lead to home field advantage. Uh, you know, cause in the women's NCAA soccer tournament, uh, most of those games are played on campus until you get to the semifinals. Uh, so you got to imagine their, their chances of having a, having a deep run. And matching or perhaps surpassing last year's run are are pretty good.
1: Well, Brooks has done an outstanding job with that women's team, and and Richard Mulrooney has done a really nice job with the men's team as well. Soccer is is pretty darn good right now at the University of Memphis. But again, Saturday, the big one for Memphis 901 FC. If they want to stick around and go deep into the postseason, they have to take care of one of their rivals, Louisville, on Saturday. Real quick before we let you go, Lawrence, got less than a minute, but have you spoken recently to Craig Unger about the whole stadium deal? Because now, as you know, with all the conversation... Uh, still up in the air about what's going on, even with Simmons Bank Liberty Stadium. There does not seem to be any part of that conversation that is talking anymore about that soccer stadium. What have you heard?
2: Uh, I have not talked to Craig Unger in an official uh, capacity since I interviewed him when the stadium got announced just around a year ago. Okay, Uh, But what I'll say is I asked him point blank, if y'all don't get this money, what happens? And he verbatim said, there is no plan B.
4: Mm, okay. um,
2: so um, hopefully you know there, there's a lot of us out there uh, that kind of see the writing on the wall and uh, and I'm thinking that doesn't necessarily just include I want to see in the Redbird but probably the U of M as well um, because if the Grizzlies were interested in being good civic partners they would have started talking uh, long before the new mayor takes office but yeah um, You know, hopefully with the writing being on the wall the way it is for as long as it has been, that they've had the opportunity to potentially explore other avenues. Um, But, you know, we may get surprised that they may get what they're asking for, but, you know, the city may find a way to make everybody happy. But uh, the way that things have gone, uh, my gut tells me that's probably not going to be the case.
1: All right, we'll leave it with that. He is Lawrence Dockery, writer for World Soccer Talk, host of the 901 Soccer Podcast on Bluff City Media. You can follow him on Twitter at LDoc93. Good stuff, Lawrence. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for
4: having
3: me on, man. Take care. Fleet Feet is the place to go to get all your running gear. You want to make sure you have shoes that are right for you, and that's exactly what they can do for you at Fleet Feet by taking a look at the way you run or the way you walk where you put the pressure on the different parts of your feet. They will then fit you with the shoes that are perfect for you. Uh, you can find them at two locations in the East Memphis. They're in the Laurelwood Shopping Center out in Collierville, Poplar and Houston Levee, next to Huey's. You can also find them online, fleetfeetmemphis.com. They're on social media where they keep you up to date with things they've got going on and things that you can get involved with in their group runs and other things that they do. Uh, just a couple of months away now uh, from the... Memphis St. Jude Marathon. A lot of folks out there are going to be running in either the full marathon, half marathon, or anything with that. And uh, you want to make sure you have all your gear ready to go for all your training and everything else. So go see the folks at either one of the two locations of Fleet Feet. I saw a ton of runners.
1: Coming in today, and it's dark, and it's they had the reflective gear on. They look like uh, just in time for Halloween skeletons <laughs> that <They> were running. <laughs> there were like several groups I saw on my way to work. Uh, yeah, they're probably getting ready for the marathon. All right, when we come back, we'll get ready for Jerry Palm. Talk some college football. This is Sports 56 Mornings with Greg and Eli on Real Sports Talk, Sports 56 and 98.5 FM.
0: We are Real Sports Talk, Sports 56, WHBQ. Now, back to Sports 56 Mornings on Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. This hour is brought to you by James Gaddis Jewelers. Diamonds are forever. Woo! Here once
1: again, Greg Gaston and Eli Savoy. Welcome back, everyone. 830, the time. Halfway home on this Wednesday edition of Sports 56 Mornings. Greg Gaston, Eli Savoy, Zach Boyd with you. College football week eight is underway, and it's time to talk some College Pigskin with Jerry Palm. It's time for Sports 56 Mornings weekly
0: chat with Jerry Palm, college football and basketball writer and bracketologist for CBS Sports.com. Here are Greg, Eli, and Jerry.
1: We talk college football and college basketball each and every week with Jerry Palm from CBS Sports, CBSSports.com. You can follow him on Twitter at JPPalmCBS. Hey, Jerry. Hey, how's it going? Going well. We also kick off five favorite things each week with Jerry Palm. He's the first to give everyone his list. This week's topic, five favorite television medical shows of all time. Let her rip, J.P.
5: Okay, I am really putting the old and old school. Um, <laughs> oh, gosh. I number know. five. Don't
1: tell me who's going to uh, be on I'm your totally list. I'm going to show my age.
5: <laughs> I know. <clears throat> Some of these may be in black and white. I Here don't know. Number go. five. Marcus Welby. I knew, MD. <laughs> I knew you were going to go Marcus Welby. <laughs> number four. Emergency.
1: Emergency. Okay.
5: Uh, number three. Quincy. Okay. Number two. One from this century. House. Mm-hmm. And uh, number one, probably the greatest show of all time, MASH Quincy
1: I didn't even think about Quincy But that does fall into that category Not a bad one at yeah, all, Quincy a,
5: He was a corner yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. I had to explain yesterday when I gave the topic To make sure folks understand that MASH is Even though it's a sitcom It's all about Korea and medical And doctors and nurses So make sure that if you liked MASH It's, it's on your list
3: we, we will have no similarities on our list, me and Jerry, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. oh, no, no, because
5: I'm much older than you guys, so... Yeah, but, you, I mean, look, no, you're not older than me. How old are you? Old? Uh, I am 59.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll be 62, like, uh, you know, soon. Um, but I... Uh, I don't, Marcus Welby, I, mean, I remember Marcus Welby. I never watched one episode of Marcus Welby. I knew for some reason Marcus Welby was going, going to
3: be on your list. I don't think I've seen a single episode of any one he just listed.
1: <laughs> You've never seen... Um, yeah, You
3: never saw House? No, I never watched House.
1: I didn't I didn't watch House either. I heard it was like, you know, that guy was pretty... Um, what's his name, the actor that played House? Uh, it's an English guy, guy, right? Yeah, yeah.
5: yeah. Uh, but I heard it was pretty good. And the funny good. thing is he got his start in... And God, I'm drawing a blank on his name. He got his start in comedy. Did he He's really? Pretty, good, that pretty guy? good comic actor yeah, in but, England, yeah. But Quincy yeah.
1: was J- – you don't remember uh, Jack Klugman from The Odd Couple? I know what yeah. you're talking about. I have yeah. never watched
3: any of them. Never watched it? I okay. know what MASH is. I didn't watch
4: it.
1: Yeah, I, I understand. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, so after last weekend, what has changed, if anything, as far as your playoff teams and your projections?
5: No, the playoff teams didn't change. Um, I have Oregon now as the Pac-12 champ. It's actually kind of the same – concept is having texas as the big 12 champions i just think if they get a rematch with the the team that just beat them that they would win the rematch because i think the teams are that close together but in particular in Oregon's case, that they won't have to play on washington's home field the second mm-hmm. time around where texas and oklahoma would both be both be neutral sites i just think that they're even enough that they'd split a two-game series And um you know, the only thing i'm, I'm kind of not so sure about is whether Texas at twelve and one would finish ahead of twelve and one Oregon because Oregon's league is better, but then Alabama's got the or, or Texas has got that big win over Alabama and it might depend on how good Alabama is uh, in the end um, yeah. if Texas is going to end up in there.
1: It is interesting though, and I understand your rationale, but it is interesting that in those two scenarios, Texas Oklahoma, of course, the Red River rivalry going the way of Oklahoma. And this Washington, Oregon game played last weekend going the way of Washington that you got the teams that lost winning the rematches and both getting into the playoff.
5: yeah, you know what if the wins had been more convincing i I probably wouldn't go that way, you know, but those were really even down to the wire games, and I just figure you know those are those teams are basically fifty fifty mm-hmm. so I'm taking the other half of the coin in the rematch it's It's really that simple if if you know Washington had been a more comfortable win, or if Oklahoma had been a more comfortable win, I probably wouldn't have gone that way.
1: Yeah, I can understand now. No, I think Oklahoma was decently comfortable, but Washington certainly. Oregon... That was,
5: that game went down to the wire. No, no, no,
1: I know, I know, but I, but I say decently uh, decently comfortable compared to the Washington Oregon game because in that game you can look at Dan Lanning who took the the blame for the loss himself, as as coaches often do. But. You right. literally can look at it and go, yeah, you lost in the game with your decision making. So that one you could say, yeah, that maybe that he was. Had- lo- yeah, but it, you could at least make the argument that oh, maybe sure. some bad I'd coaching do- decisions cost Oregon that game. You can't say that yeah, about I don't Texas, know if those right? Those
5: were bad decisions or just it didn't work. I mean, okay. you know, okay. they, uh, it they, Those weren't. It wasn't like they're going for it on fourth and 10, they're going yeah. for it on Yeah, but he gave up a he gave
1: up a field goal at the end of the first. He gave up a field goal at the end of the first half. I don't know why he's going for it there, and three points ends up coming back to haunt him. Yeah, but you don't know how the game would have played out. No, I I understand, and that's what I was saying to people I was watching the game with. But still, at that point, I don't know why you don't take the points. But it makes it instead of a four point game a one point game. So let's say the second half there was only a field. All you would need is a field goal.
5: I mean, you don't know how it's going to play out, but but they, they missed the field goal at the end of that game, right? I mean yeah. they were set up to tie the game. Exactly. Right? They, they were, but in that am case, I figured, were, I figured, do I have the right game in my head? Yeah, no, you yes. do yeah, or get
3: missed a field goal in the final play. But they
1: would have been set up to win yeah. the game,
3: um if they oh, had kicked that sure. field goal at the end of the first half. Possibly.
1: Possibly. Possibly.
3: But is it <clears throat> the the one loss those two, either one of those, any one of those teams one loss conference champion, they're definitely ahead of a one loss non conference champion like from Correct. the Big Ten, right?
5: Yeah, oh, and especially because those teams would be eleven and one. You know, you're talking yep. about Ohio State, Penn State. You know, eleven and one. Uh, you know, not not a conference champion is different than twelve and one and not a conference champion. And if both Ohio, can both oh yeah Ohio State and Penn State can they, No, they. Uh, well, they could both be eleven and one, but Michigan would have to be twelve and one But they'd have to split the three games mm-hmm. that they play All against right. each other. And then Michigan goes on to win. Uh, they could both be eleven and one, but Penn State would be hampered by a really poor non-conference schedule.
4: Mm-hmm.
5: Um... And Iowa has a win over Notre Dame, which looks like a team that will end up in the rankings at the end, barring something unforeseen. So, at least, at least uh, they play all
1: each other. they play each other, right? Yeah. Penn State, Michigan, because yeah, they're in the State. division. Yeah, but no, there's no divisions next year. What's going to happen next right. year when those Pac-12 well, teams come in? Are, is Ohio State, Penn State, and Michigan still all going to play each other?
5: I, Ohio State and Michigan will. It's a protected rivalry. Right. Penn State yeah. does not have any protected rivalry. Um. But there's going to be now, you know, USC, Oregon, and Washington, three of this year's teams are in the rankings, and UCLA kind of flitters around that area. So now you're basically doubling the high-quality teams in this league. Yes. You know, and Wisconsin's usually pretty good. And Iowa wins even though it's ugly. Uh, you know, and then and other programs step up every once in a while, so it's going to be much more competitive at the top. So you don't have to worry about the fact that you've only got three good teams. That won't be the case.
3: Anymore. That's a good how, point. How do you? That's a good point. How would a one loss Big Ten champion, like if, if they lose with the game, but whoever ends up winning, and has that one loss, and it might be different. I guess if it's Michigan or versus Penn State, Ohio sorry.
5: State would be the better of those teams a 12-1 and Ohio State champion would be the better of those teams because of the win over Notre Dame whereas Michigan and, and Penn State did not play quality non-conference opponents
3: would, so how would they compare to like an or- say an, a one-loss Oregon conference champion or a one-loss Texas conference champion
5: yeah I, yeah, I think it'd be a problem because uh, especially with Oregon because that league is just really strong yeah. um, so or Washington or whoever emerges from that league uh, could still be you know, problematic uh, for a, a one-loss Big Ten champion, but mm-hmm. I, I'd be surprised if if they were left out entirely. You know, Texas. I mean, the Big Twelve would you get past Texas and Oklahoma, it's, it's a bunch of teams beating each other up. Whereas at least you know those three teams in the in the Big Ten have a chance to play each other. You yeah. know, and it's and if that loss in in this case the loss is you know to one of those teams and you beat the other. You know, and in Iowa, I I don't know. Penn State beat Iowa. Um, I don't know if the the others play Iowa. Stop bringing uh, up Iowa. (laughs) But, you know, well, I mean, Wisconsin, Iowa's probably going to be a 10-win team.
4: Yeah,
5: come on. I I agree. I agree. But, you know, Iowa's like, the worst, the ugliest—it's the ugliest football team, maybe in the history, even by <laughs> Iowa standards. <it's>
3: <laughs> yeah, with the with the backup yeah, quarterback.
5: I
4: mean, just, Outside of Iowa, I don't Iowa games, know if
1: anybody would watch them in a bowl game.
4: Uh, I, I, seriously,
5: Iowa games need to be shown in black and white. <laughs> that, that, they should not—they should not be on color television. They need oh, to be on gosh. black and white. A ESP, a ESPN or Fox or whoever needs to think of that. We're going to show Iowa in black and white this week because. That's the kind of football they play.
1: Exactly. That would be hilarious. But the point, the point I was trying to make with with the Big Ten. Okay, they're all right now this year. They're all playing each other. The teams at the top. And you made a great point about the quality that's coming in. Meanwhile, in the ACC, where I think it's a very strong top portion of that conference. By, its By yes, By its yes, but they don't all play each other. So what would happen? No, they do not. What would happen? Okay, a one-loss conference champion, ACC champion. Whether it's Florida State, whether it's North Carolina, how do they? F- how would they fare against all these other one-loss conference champions?
5: Well, I think Florida State would be in better shape than Carolina because of the big win. I hear. mean, it depends on who you lose to. It depends mm-hmm. on who you lose to, but they have a win over LSU in non-conference play. Right, and that's the right. probable top twenty-five team. They're not. Elite, but they're not. You know, that's a top twenty-five team, Um, and I don't think Carolina's got a game like that. But those two teams do not play each other in the regular season. Remember, we talked about this last week. Yes, when Louisville was a part of it, and none of the three of them played each other. And Louisville got beat by it. Um, But you know, Florida State and North Carolina could go into their conference championship game with both of them undefeated, and then you've got a twelve and one loser of that game. That they're not a playoff team, probably because they didn't win their league. Uh, unless you get enough chaos around that opens that door, but um, yeah, ACC race is going to be interesting this year. Um, you know, Florida State uh, has got Duke this week, um, so you know that's a big game uh, for them. And uh, you know, one of the few chances left on their schedule to play a team that could probably beat them, or at least has a chance. I'd feel better about it, of course, if Riley Leonard played, and that doesn't seem likely.
3: The, uh, I don't know why you're criticizing Iowa. I mean, their quarterback has completed six passes each of the last two weeks.
5: Uh, hey, there, there are there are multiple ways to win in football. <laughs> yes, but awesome. Iowa's I an eye bleeder. I mean, it's just... <laughs> Iowa's mean, like the 1963 Bears or something. I Except for without Gale And, and yeah. then you have to
1: have, uh, have one of those old announcers, like, like the old-time announcers they, they calling be, the game. They you should know? be wearing the
3: leather helmets because the like yeah. literally the yeah. forward pass <laughs> is a foreign thing to them right now. Like, yeah. With this new yeah. quarterback, like, well, it, and it and is they, tough they to pass the ball. they
4: lost their best receiver. Tight
5: end uh, Eric All, is out for the year, too. Right. So, right. They're, so now, they, they, yeah, I mean, it's... They've always had tight ends. They've always had tight ends. Yeah. Yeah. The I keep... I, I I write a best best column every week and I keep writing Iowa under and it's down to 32 and a half this week <laughs> I know. and time- I still and I still like the under I bet it's, 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 the, the last week was 15 to six yes yeah. the under it's hit six. easily
3: yeah. last week well yeah. they were getting 10 points last week which didn't make sense like they're not gonna no give sense. up more than 10 points like you yeah, no you could if, yeah. if if I got Iowa and 10 to start with I feel pretty darn good about my chances
5: yeah
3: yeah, yeah. the um the yeah. The top 25 basketball poll, um, anything that stood out to you there?
5: No, not really. I mean, it's a lot of the names that we've heard in the in the preseason, you know, in the conversation leading up to the polls. so um, no, I. I it, it was interesting to me that there's only three Big Ten teams in it. Yeah, and two at the top. You know, Purdue and Michigan State, I think, were three and four. And then Illinois cracked the bottom of the top 25, and it just felt like that was a little bit light. I think the Big Ten's a little better than that. Um, Who else would you
1: you consider? Who else would you consider? Michigan?
5: um, I'm sorry. Say again. Who
1: else would you consider from the top from the um, Big Ten to put in the top 25? Michigan?
5: Um, Yeah, uh, no, not Michigan. Uh, I think Michigan's going to be down near the bottom this year. Oh wow! Uh, I think Maryland is going to be good. Damn right. Um, I think uh, um, Indiana's going to be good. I I wouldn't be surprised if Indiana's going to be young. Um but I think by the time the end of the year rolls around, Indiana's gonna be a top twenty five team. Uh although I can I could see leaving them out of a preseason poll. I kinda of feel like Maryland is um probably being overlooked there. And Northwestern is gonna be good again. Uh although I don't know if they'll be top twenty five.
3: Is it safe to say for you Purdue fans that you've moved on to basketball season? Uh um, yes,
1: yes, admitted Jerry. <laughs>
5: yeah uh but it, why should this year be any different really I mean last year was the anomaly you know when we're paying attention to football and basketball season is always it's always basketball season at Purdue. yeah but you care about the band
1: you, you know, the band plays on so I
5: yeah, well the band is the, the band is undefeated the band's the man you know, the
1: yeah. it is all right uh, be, the, be, before we let you go back back to football this weekend Penn State Ohio State Tennessee Alabama what do you think of those two games?
5: I like the home teams in both of them. Um, I'm not totally sold on Tennessee. Uh, I think they've taken a step back from last year, and as, as has Alabama, by the way. But I think Alabama's starting to show some signs of of improvement there. But you know, I just I like them at home, um, and and they'll be still angry about last year, uh, and especially <laughs> the the whole end of the game. It, it, I think Alabama's going to have something for them. Uh, Ohio State, Penn State, I. Um, if Ohio State's offense is healthy, I, I like them. Penn State's defense may be the best of the four units on the field, mm-hmm. um, but but I don't know if I trust their offense. This is their really the first big game for Drew Aller, and the first time in a hostile environment for him, really. Right. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what Penn State's offense has. Um, but uh, I, this could be kind of a low-scoring game, which is weird because you've got some pretty good offensive talent on the field.
1: All right. Enjoy your Marcus Welby reruns. He's got the Marcus Welby reruns. Somebody does. You know that's TV land or one of those things. He is Jerry Palm, CBSSports.com. You can follow him on Twitter at JPPalmCBS. Check out his latest bowl projections and catch him every Wednesday during both the college football and basketball seasons right here on Sports 56 Mornings. Thank you, JP. Have a great week. All right. Thanks. Take care. We'll take a timeout. come back, final segment in hour number two. This is Sports 56 Mornings with Greg and Eli on Real Sports Talk, Sports 56 and 98.5 FM.
0: Add a little fun to your lunch break. Join Johnny Radio for Sports 56 Happy Hour from 11 to 1 every weekday on Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. Now, back to Sports 56 mornings on Sports 56 and 98.5 FM. This hour is brought to you by James Gaddis Jewelers. Don't you just love it? Here once again, Greg Gaston and Eli Savoy. Text on the Sports 56 listener line, 901
3: 360 8255, 901 360 8255, says, I don't see how anybody escapes the Pac 12 without two losses. Too Much parity with good teams and great quarterbacks. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, listen, it's going to be. I mean, obviously, USC's defense is terrible, but USC certainly is capable of beating anybody. Sure. Um, you know, a lot of these. You we saw Arizona step up last you week. You go on the road into any of these places, certainly. Washington has Arizona State at Stanford, at USC, Utah at Oregon State, and Washington State still remaining.
1: There's a lot of. A lot of um, what do you call it? Um, Landmines uh, along that uh, that road right there.
3: Oregon has Washington State at Utah, Cal, mm-hmm. USC at Arizona State, and Oregon State remaining. Yeah, three, yeah, there's, three there's, tough ones. There's a lot of there's no doubt. There's a lot of good teams, and, the, and and especially when you talk about when you've got the great quarterbacks that they have in that conference. Yeah, you could absolutely see a team losing what any of those games.
1: Well, we talked about it on the show. We talked about cannibalism with the Pac-12. That they're going to just beat each other up and it may do them in in the end as far as the playoff, but I I still think it's it's ironic that after the implosion of the Pac-12, the death of the Pac-12, they're having the year that they're having. And they may very well have a team in the playoff depending on how it goes, but I think that Texter has a great has made a great point that we may see Something like that scenario where they all have
3: two losses. Like Washington looks great, but certainly not going to be surprised if they end up with a couple of losses.
1: Oh, they're not invincible. They're certainly vulnerable. We've seen, we saw it. Again, I thought Oregon should have won that game. That was on the road at Washington. Washington's still capable. Michael Penix Jr.'s my Heisman guy right now. I think he's the leader for the Heisman Trophy. And then we saw USC, how bad they've been at times defensively. But Caleb Williams, under pressure? Look, Caleb Williams is a hell of a quarterback. But is it a slam dunk that Caleb Williams should be the first quarterback taken? I mean, we saw finally pressure on that guy. And he succumbed to that pressure. He made some bad passes. The offensive line was horrible. But under pressure, under duress, he was not good. I still think he's a talented quarterback. But I don't know if it's a slam dunk because I love Michael Penix. Michael Penix is big. Yes, he reminds me of Tua because he's a left-hander. But he's thicker. He's bigger. Tua's breakable, unfortunately, for Miami fans. You know, you hit him hard. I mean, he he goes down. He may not get up. Michael Penix is, is really tough. I, he's my favorite quarterback. I like Drake May. I'm not in love with Drake May. There's a couple other guys out there that are certainly uh, going to be interesting as far as the draft is concerned. But right now, my lead toward the Heisman and maybe the best quarterback is Michael Penix for the NFL.
3: Uh, he's certainly leading the Heisman. I think that in the end, Caleb Williams will end up being the number one pick. In oh, I agree with draft.
1: You. I agree with you. I'm just not sure if he will be end up being the best quarterback in this class. But it is a good class of quarterbacks, led by those quarterbacks in the Pac-12. This is interesting. This was retweeted by our by our friend Brad Logan, who comes on and talks Old Miss with us. This came from Joe Goodman Jr. He's a columnist for Al.com. And we usually have John Tauti on when we're uh, talking about Alabama. He's from, I don't think he's there anymore. Maybe I'm wrong, but um, Al.com is uh, reputable, uh, certainly reputable. So this Joe Goodman writes, quote, let's just put this out there. If Lane Kiffin loses to Auburn on Saturday, then he should be fired on the spot and never hired again to coach college or high school football in the United States of America. Now, I don't know Joe Goodman from John Goodman, but it sounds like he's throwing something out there and hoping to make a name for himself because that is the most ludicrous thing I've ever heard. That is absolutely ridiculous, those comments. Absolutely out-of-this-world stupid comments. hmm So he's probably already accomplishing what he probably set out to do.
3: You have the ability to ignore him.
1: I I do, but I think it's it's interesting. It's out there on social media to bring that up. Lane Kiffin is not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, right? And it would be a bad loss because right now Hugh Freeze does not have Ole Miss— excuse me, does not have Auburn in a situation to outscore opponents. And Ole Miss will probably be able to score on Auburn, even though their defense has been better than their offense— Hugh doesn't have his his guys yet. Uh, I I still think he'll be very good at Auburn. There's others that don't think he will be that he's not a good coach. But nevertheless, it wouldn't be a, even though it's a roadie and a tough place to play on the plains. It would still be considered a bad loss for Ole Miss. Not a bad loss to fire a coach who has done a lot of positive things. Yes, you were bringing up the question of whether or not Lane would get that signature win, and then he got the win over LSU. He may not be everybody's cup of tea, but I think it was a great hire. I think it was a splash hire. I think he's done an admirable job, and a loss to Auburn is bad, but not a loss that would put a coach in peril for his job. Not in this situation. That's just ridiculous.
3: By the way, the athletic, they're... Uh... Current mock draft um, has four quarterbacks in the first round. They have Caleb Williams, Drake May, uh, Quinn—actually, third is J.J. McCarthy, and then Quinn Ewers.
1: They do not have Michael Penix, Jr.
3: Not in the first round, no. They don't have— It's ridiculous. The only Pac-12 quarterback is is Caleb Williams.
1: Absolutely ridiculous. You know what's not ridiculous is dinner or lunch at Corky's. Corky's ribs and barbecue, a Memphis staple— for uh, four decades, you can dine in and any of their four restaurants you can carry out, go through that drive-through, no contact delivery, have any of the services deliver to your home or office. They have specialized in catering for those four decades, and they'll start you out as low as just eight ninety-nine per person, no matter how small, no matter how large, whether it be for a tailgating party, watching football or any other sports, or just a get-together at your home, maybe a little... A family reunion, or a birthday, or an anniversary—it's always a great time for Corkies. That delicious slow-smoked barbecue, and all the fixins, plus the barbecue nachos and the cheese and sausage plates. Plus, if you want to go outside the barbecue family, they have an award-winning catfish plate. They have tamales, amazing desserts as well. Party pack starting just seven forty-nine, and lunch specials every single day. Located in Cordova at Germantown Parkway, or on Germantown Parkway, Goodman Road, and Olive Branch. Poplar Avenue in both Collierville and Poplar Avenue in East Memphis. Corky's Ribs and Barbecue open for lunch and dinner seven days a week. And you can reserve their private party room at either the Cordova or the Olive Branch location. Just give them a call and set up your time and date. Corky's Ribs and Barbecue open for lunch and dinner seven days a week. Hour two in the books. Coming up in hour three, we're talking Grizzlies a week away from the start of the regular season. We'll be joined by our good buddy DeMichael Cole, and then five favorite things. Get your lists in your five favorite television medical shows of all time. This is Sports 56 Mornings with Greg and Eli on Real Sports Talk, Sports 56 at 98.5 FM.